Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. This episode is brought to you by JLL. Get an insider view into the world of commercial real estate with JLL's podcast, Trends and Insights, the Future of Commercial Real Estate. Whether you're curious about making cities more sustainable, the evolution of office space, or AI opportunities, this podcast will help keep you a step ahead. Tune in for candid conversations with business leaders about the biggest trends impacting how we live, work, and play. Subscribe to Trends and Insights now at jll.com slash podcast. The final day of March, and it is going out like a lion, at least at my house. The winds up here are like a hurricane. It's roaring. It's Today in Ohio, the news podcast discussion from Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer. I'm Chris Quinn, here with Lisa Garvin, Layla Tassi, and Laura Johnston. And I suspect there's going to be some fire in this conversation, <laughs> at least in the top. Let's start with slush funds. Is Armin Budish and the Cuyahoga County Council trying to create a series of slush funds that would waste a whopping $86 million of the county's precious one-time American Rescue Plan money? And Layla, in the way I phrase that question, you got to know, I already know the answer. Hashtag slush funds. It's trending. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man, do they hate the term slush funds. But that is exactly what is going to happen here, it seems. The $86 million will be divided with $20 million going to Budish for some reason, and then the remaining $66 million divided equally between the 11 members of council for community projects of their choosing. Excuse me, had to clear the throat. <laughs> Everyone has to these days. This this hasn't been officially announced yet, but we expect it in early April. County Council President Purnell Jones is working really hard to spin this away from the perception that these discretionary funds are just a way for council members to to grease palms in their districts. And yeah, yeah. he's not going to be successful. Not a chance. <laughs> Give it up now. He, he, he likened it to how council has used the community supplemental grant program and casino tax revenues in the past for projects like building the Euclid Lakefront Trail, revamping Bradstreet's Landing in Rocky River, re- redeveloping Berea's Co Lake, and the Sherwin-Williams headquarters being built in downtown Cleveland. He rejected comparing the, the money to slush funds. He noted two mechanisms that will be in place to ensure <laughs> accountability. First, he said that council's going to hire this auditing firm to make sure that the projects comply with the federal guidelines for how the ARPA dollars have to be spent. So, Okay, fine. But second, council will vet and vote upon the projects. (laughs) And the problem here is that we saw this same thing with city council for many years, which had many discretionary pots of money at its disposal. And all of it was subject to council approval. No one on council will vote against a colleague's project. That right. just doesn't happen. No. And the effect of all of that is bad. Council members looking out for the good of their own little fiefdom. All right. So there's a lot to unpack about yeah. this. But the first part is 
This is not what this government was designed for. Right. When we reformed county government, it wasn't to create 11 mayors. I, we all live in municipalities already. We don't need another layer of mayoral fiefdoms. That's what this does. I knew as soon as I heard about this when we asked her to do a story that Marty Sweeney was behind it because <laughs> he was always doing sleazy stuff like this at City Hall. And lo and behold, he's behind it. This is wrong in every way possible. Think about what you could do to transform Cuyahoga County with $86 million, one-time money. You only get to do this once if you did it thoughtfully and collaboratively. Yeah, for instance, we have this major dearth of nurses. We talked yesterday about how the healthcare field is the biggest in, in Cleveland, double more than double anything else, and we never have enough people. How many people could you train to be nurses with $86 million while giving them child care and making sure they have food so that they don't have to work so that they're getting fully trained and they're subsidized and they're safe how many people could you train with 86 million dollars how much of this shortage of healthcare workers could you erase overnight how many people might move here to take advantage of that to get a lucrative That's career a brilliant idea yeah instead they're going to get $6 million each. They're going to flush it down the toilet. They're going to grease palms. And this is not what government was designed for. Mm -hmm. I, I really, we had, we talked to Chris Ronane and Tariq Shabazz, the Democratic candidates for county executive yesterday, and asked them about this. I loved how many times Tariq Shabazz called them slush funds and said, no way we should have slush funds. Way to go, Tariq Shabazz. But, but we asked, is this just a sign that this is a failure of this government. You know, we, we've had two county executives who were both pretty bad. The, the county council is not doing what it was designed to do. And now they're going to squander $86 million of, of precious money while also talking about squandering $46 million more on the medical mart, which is, you know, think about all what you could do with this money. Absolutely. I, I'm amazed that this is even in the atmosphere. I know. I, I know. You know, my favorite part of Caitlin's story was in her interview with Marty Sweeney, who, who was a city councilman for a long, long time. And it was like just after Purnell Jones goes through all the trouble in the story of trying to say, no, 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 they're not slush funds. It's not, you know, trying to like divert away from like the city council, you know, reference and, and comparison. And you've got Marty Sweeney kind of kicking in the door and saying, oh, you know what this is exactly like? It's like what city council used to do <laughs> with the casino tax revenue fund. And, he, you know, the 85% the of revenues that went to the city's general fund. And then there was the remaining 15% was divided among the council members. And he what? was like, yeah, that money let us, you know, pursue these projects in our wards. Yeah, and they squandered yeah, it. Yeah, right. Well, and he said, like, you know, the county gets the, the, that kind of tax money, too. But I sorry, I, I just wanted to inter interject here and because I covered the reform government. And this discussion has been going on for more than a decade now because the original county council was supposed to be a part time job. And you have all these people that come in here and they treat it like this is their full time career and they're just government. I mean, it wasn't supposed to be like the end goal for for people in government they're, they're not supposed to be mayors look we'd be better off with the three county commissioners because then you'd only have three slush funds not 11 <laughs> 12 the, and and Layla, you pointed out they're giving 20 million extra to yeah. armin budish to squander 
He's already directing He's already where this directing, money's being right. spent. Every round of this is being directed by him. So what is this all about? Why does he need this extra $20 million pot? I, I don't get that at all. Legal fees. <laughs> we, we, really, this, this should launch recalls of everybody who votes for this. This is not what we create a government for. And, and you're never going to see this kind of money right. again. We talked at the beginning when, we, when this money came in and we created Stimulus Watch, which will have a reporter back on that this month next month that that you don't want to use this for lots of itsy bitsy projects you want to use this for transformative permanent change there's no way marty sweeney's going to spend his six million dollars on anything that's transformative yeah sweeney said you know having this money when we were on city council gave us some ability to work with the administration on specific ward-based stuff what pray tell is ward-based stuff i mean every dollar of arpa should be spent on initiatives that have the greater good in mind not ward-based stuff marty and and you know sweeney this is the other thing that really caught in my craw he tells caitlin that the county council settled on 66 million after first considering and rejecting an even like a lower number they were like nah Jack it up a little more. Like, what? What is going on? This is this isn't I, I, how this money's supposed to be handled. It, we almost we we should be talking about changing the charter. The county council is a joke. The executive's position has not worked. You know, Michael Malley's been out there saying we need to elect the sheriff because all the problems at the jail. I mean, it's been more than ten years. It's a failure. And look, it's I go back even further on the city council slush funds. Back when I was covering it, when Mike White was mayor, there were twenty-one council people, and they got a windfall from. The workers' compensation people who had done good work and were paying people back. And they took $21 million of it, gave everybody a million each, and they all squandered it. Yeah. They all talked about, oh, I'm saving mine to match. It was just squandered. And Mike White was going nuts because with $21 million, he knew you could do something transformative. But they, they ran away and did their little pedestrian nonsense. Right. This is six million each. Right. I guess that's inflation since twenty years ago. I'm pretty sure that in the in the language of the American Rescue Plan Act, you will not find ward based stuff. <laughs> or slush fun. Or squander, <laughs> but that's what all of this is. So you if you don't like this, you ought to speak up and let your council person know. Of course, nobody knows who their council person is because they're not mayors. They're supposed to just be there to make sure that the government is moving in the right direction to approve what the executive is doing. We created a county executive's office to do this kind of stuff with the advice and consent of the council. This is just right. They're supposed a, to be a watchdog on the money, not supposed to be like here throwing out dollar bills. And, and you just knew Marty Sweeney was behind it. I knew it as soon as I heard it. It's like, okay, that's a Marty Sweeney deal. You're listening to Today in Ohio. Is Governor Mike DeWine and the rest of the Republicans who keep breaking the rules to hold the reins of power, again, facing potential contempt of court citations? because of their gerrymandering. What's the latest on the battle over the state's legislative districts? Lisa, let's start with the contempt of court possibility because that is such an unprecedented moment in Ohio history. 
The members of the redistricting commission, which includes Governor Mike DeWine, the Secretary of State Frank LaRose, and Auditor Keith Faber, have until Monday to prove why they shouldn't be held in contempt for the way they passed the fourth legislative map. As you recall, this was a map that, that Senator Matt Huffman had in his pocket over the weekend, introduced it on Tuesday, and then it was approved like 10 minutes later. Um, so the contempt request comes from three lawsuits that are challenging the legislative's maps. There was a previous hearing in February that was ordered by Supreme Court Chief Justice Maureen O'Connor about the third blown deadline, but that was postponed. So that's why this contempt charge is now bubbling up again. I love the steel of Maureen O'Connor. I mean, she's the only person on the chessboard who's not wearing a red nose and a silly hat. She's just <laughs> operating with steel in her in her veins, moving this along quite methodically. You know, first they have to put in documents, and if she gets those documents, she can order them to appear before her to explain why they should not be held in contempt, which is the next step. And there's no passion. You're not seeing her make any public statements. She's mm-hmm. just moving along methodically. It's a, it's mm-hmm. just a wonderful moment because she's the only person who seems to be dispassionate in this whole thing. So where are we on the legislative districts? There was a lot of activity yesterday in federal court and talk about moving election dates. What's the story? Well, uh, yeah, I, and I'm, I'm having a hard time keeping up with the plans, quite frankly. But do you want me to talk about the j- three-judge panel? Yeah, let's start there. Okay. Yeah, this three-judge federal panel, which was uh, considering a a request from this GOP uh, activist lawsuit to use the last rejected maps. Um, So all parties must submit arguments for a federal court action if the legislative maps are not approved by April 20th. That's the deadline that the panel has set. That's also a day for marijuana users, just saying, 420. But anyway, 420, they picked that date because it's the latest day for elections officials to implement new maps for an August 2nd primary, which would be the last possible date to hold a primary this year. That's the first, really, that we've heard of that, that we'd be looking at that Mm -hmm. election date and and how things have to go. the, the, The panel is hoping that, Ohio figures this out. There, there is a process that we can get there. The problem is the Republicans are not operating in good faith. And I, I guarantee you, they sat down yesterday and calculated what kind of delay tactics they can use to get to that April deadline so that the court takes it over because they don't like where O'Connor is going. So that's going to be the, the chess match, right? O'Connor is going to set a timetable. I bet that gets us well in advance of the federal court deadline. The Republicans are going to try and stop that. The Republicans on the Supreme Court will play games to try and delay it. And who knows how this ends. And the judges on the federal panel kind of hinted that they might take over the entire process to make sure the election is held, which means they may decide on a map. They may let the current 2012 map remain for two years more. So they're hinting that they might have to step in at some point. Well, I've given up all hope that Mike DeWine would do the leadership thing here and get this done. When he went with Huffman's sleight of hand earlier in the week, I just tossed tossed my hands up because he's not a leader. That's not what a leader does. He had said, I'm going to take leadership of this. They got the map makers going. They were live streamed. You could see them working. They were doing what they're supposed to do. And then Huffman just short circuited. And Mike DeWine had the chance to say no. 
we're going to finish this process. And he would have had support from the others. And instead, he voted for it. So I, I think the only way this ends is if O'Connor forces it. And again, holds him in contempt, puts him in a jail cell, makes him wear orange jumpsuits and lets us all live stream that. So we all have imagery of our leaders being punished for their ridiculous, unconstitutional behavior. It's like, the, it's like that feed t- of the pandas at the zoo, but. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I, I really hope that happens. You're listening to Today in Ohio. How is the Ohio legislature limiting the ability of workers to make overtime claims in the new situation of people working from their homes? Laura, I think some people would call what they're doing unreasonable, but it's not really. Not really. This was a big priority from the Ohio Chamber of Commerce, and now it's headed to the governor. It was Senate Bill 47, and it passed on a party line vote, so overwhelmingly passed with Republican votes, and allows employers to not have to pay overtime to employees for time spent traveling to and from work on their commute, and then activities requiring insubstantial or insignificant periods of time beyond the employee's scheduled working hours. And some examples of those are checking their schedule, listening to voicemail, or reading emails. Those do not apply if the employer specifically directed them to do this outside of their normal business hours. Yeah, I mean, I th- this is one where the blur between work and home life is is a difficult one. And it, it is incumbent on employers to try and make sure that their staffs don't end up blurring those lines for hours and hours. But this is about if I pick up a phone and look at an email I get at nine o'clock, I'm not required to do it, but if I do it, I can't then turn around and say, well, I I worked at nine o'clock. I get paid for that. And people have never been paid overtime for commuting to and from an office. So I, I, I was surprised that they even had to make that part of the rules that you're not going to get money for, for driving back and forth. You never have. Well, I think it's all got to be part of the work from home during the pandemic thing, because, you know, like we all got accustomed to being able to work wherever we wanted, wearing whatever we wanted, you know, and and this just kind of sets some boundaries that you can't, you know, I guess if you're obviously if you're traveling for business, that's a different thing, but you can't just put down overtime because you got stuck in a traffic jam. Yeah, I guess there were employers that were having trouble with this, and that's why the chamber went with it. But it seems like a fairly reasonable solution to a new world kind of problem. Yeah, Jeff Crossman, he's a Parma Democrat, and he's running for attorney general. He called this a slap in the face for workers and called it wage theft. And I guess I can see sticking up for workers in this age where, like you said, the lines have blurred and we're all probably working more than we ever have, and you want to put up some barriers. But to me, this doesn't sound, I mean, it sounds like just quantifying what, what was there already. Yeah. You don't I, have to, if, as long as you don't have to check your email, if that's a different thing, if your boss is telling you you have to respond, that's a totally different story. But, but then you, you do get paid. So right. there, this doesn't seem like it's an outrage. It's today in Ohio. What is the favorite site for the new Cuyahoga County Jail? And Layla, before you answer, we should let people know. Caitlin Durbin's been hard at work for a couple of weeks outlining the process of how we actually got to this selection. And there's been quite a bit of work done. It hasn't really hit the public yet. So look for that in the next few days. But where do they want to build it? Well, it's looking like it will be or is very likely to be the the shipping container yard that they've been discussing between Cleveland's Tremont and Central neighborhoods. But um, 
I'm doubtful that the decision is going to be made without a fight next week when the committee meets. Little teaser there. So everyone tune in on Tuesday. (laughs) Reporter uh, Caitlin Durbin, she got a look at the steering committee's agenda yesterday, and she saw that the site on Transport Road is under consideration as an acceptable site to build this estimated $550 million jail provided it can be obtained on commercially reasonable terms. So there's a little caveat there. They're going to vote on Tuesday whether to pursue it. This site will combine three parcels that total over 44 acres. Each parcel is valued between $500,000 and $1.6 million. The site sits about three and a half miles southeast of where the jail is currently located downtown. It's still unclear what this would mean for that second place site that they were considering in Slavic Village. That was the subject of, of a lot of protests from community members out in Slavic Village who didn't want the jail anywhere near the neighborhood. You know, that neighborhood is, of course, home to the largest boys and girls club location in Cleveland. And, and you know, a jail, frankly, is is a monument to failure. So so club leaders and, and others in the community were very, very much against building a jail there. And I, I guess it's still possible that the site in Slavic Village could become the future home of the displaced container shipping yard. But that, too, was considered a less than ideal choice for the Slavic Village site. For, for a lot of complicated reasons. And, you know, sources are telling Caitlin that none of this is guaranteed to get the rubber stamp on Tuesday. There, there are still some holdouts. There are lots of discussion to be had. So hold on to your hats. Yeah, We're going to have I, some big, big, uh, big meeting on Tuesday. <laughs> I think everybody agrees this is the best site. Yeah. I think mm-hmm. the worry is that they're yes, using a ton of money to build this while we also need a courthouse. Right. And this committee was supposed to do both, right? This was the courthouse and jail committee, and the focus for the last two years has been almost exclusively on the jail. Of course, the jail is in crisis. Exactly. We had all these people die, exactly. the conditions are bad. But I, I, you would like to see the commitment. We, we need the new courthouse, it's falling apart. The thing is either gonna need major renovation or replacement, and you'd like to see this committee talk about that some it's so that there we we know that there is that commitment. Where's that money going to come from? I know where they could get forty six million dollars. Don't squander it on the medical mart, and you know, and sell it for whatever you can get. There'd be some more money you could use for the courthouse. It'll be an interesting discussion. I I do think people will be impressed after reading Caitlin's story. What went into this selection? There was quite a bit of work done. You're listening to the Today in Ohio podcast. What is the argument being made before the Ohio Supreme Court to carve out an exception to the state's tort reform law, which limits cash judgments in civil lawsuits? Lisa, this is an odd one. Attorney Robert Peck argued in front of the Ohio Supreme Court on Wednesday on behalf of his client, Amanda Brandt. He says that the 2005 tort reform law is unconstitutional in many cases involving adults that were abused as children, as his client was. Amanda Brandt uh, sued her attacker, Roy Pompa, in 2018 after he was convicted and sentenced to life in prison for abusing young 63. 13-year-old girls over the years. The jury awarded Brandt $134 million. Part of that verdict was reduced from $20 million to $250,000 by Cuyahoga Common Pleas Judge, uh, I didn't write his name down, but it was a 
Cuyahoga Common Pleas judge who cited tort reform as the reason for reducing this award. So um, Peck is arguing that this impacts the rights of survivors. His client has been denied due process and equal protection and trial by jury as guaranteed by the Ohio Constitution. It's a tough case. I, I would not make any prediction on how the Ohio Supreme Court would rule in this one. Uh, it, it, the guy's making an interesting argument. Tort reform angers a lot of people because they think it protects commercial interests at the expense of people who are harmed. Uh, but this is this. I can't wait to see their ruling, which they probably won't get to until they finish the jury right. cases we've been talking about. And then the 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 man who's in prison, Roy Pompa, his attorney, Marion Little Jr., argues, and he cited case law, Simpkins versus Grace Brethren Church of Delaware, in which uh, a, a damage award of three point five million dollars was reduced to three hundred and fifty, and it was said to be appropriate under the under the tort reform law. And he says, well, if it was upheld in Simpkins, it should. Be be upheld in the Brandt case as well. He says that Brandt has a $114 million remedy, which she has not received, by the way, and so she cannot say she was denied her day in court. Okay, you're listening to Today in Ohio. What was the general consensus of our readers about whether to get the second coronavirus booster now or wait until the virus surges again? Laura, I sent this out to the to the, all the people that subscribe to my morning text messages. There's more than a thousand of them. And they responded very quickly in the first 90 minutes. I had more than a hundred. What was their consensus? Well, there wasn't really a consensus. It's not like everybody was signing one way or the other, but people were definitely passionate about the issue. Some are going to go get it right away. Some are going to refuse to get it at all. And some just aren't in a rush because of the low case rates right now, or they want to talk to their doctor, or they some want to wait to see if there's going to be a surge and then get protected then. So I have a couple of quotes I can read to you, but um, I think it was a wide range of, of opinions. One of the more interesting perspectives, and it was by several people, was that we don't even know what the case rate is because most of the people who are getting it now are testing at home and mm-hmm. treating themselves at home because they're not getting deathly ill, especially if they've had the shots. And so these folks fear that there's a lot more of it out there than they know, and they're the ones that are going to get the shot. Um, others were were much more focused on the science, which is still wiggly at this point, and that's why they were turning to their doctor. President Joe Biden on national television got his second booster yesterday, so you can tell where he's going. And as I said in the text, I got mine immediately, so you know where I am. And I, I, I will probably get mine as soon as I can. I want to read this comment. This uh, person said, of course, I would rather not get it. Who wants to get another shot? But I'm going to get it as soon as it is available to me because I'm 79 and have weddings and graduations coming up. I don't want to blame somebody else if I come down with COVID-19. And good for you, man. Wedding graduation season. It seems like a good reason to get, it, get the booster. I can't believe and there Layla. are people who are waiting to see if another surge arrives. <laughs> right. Just fish well, bubbling in the fishbowl. No, there, there, no, there are people. There are some people. There is some science that recommends that. Oh. that and, and I, I don't think this is. Look, it, I think it's a personal choice for me. It was a slam dunk decision, but I understand those who are looking at it thinking I, I should wait because there are some people in the scientific community that are suggesting that. Except they, look, what what brings on a surge is unvaccinated people. So, okay. but they used. 
but but okay, you get the shot, you supercharge your antibodies after a week or two, but then you start to wane, and so, but which if that's the case, I'll get the shot. Yeah, again, right. right? <laughs> and, I mean, and they're supposed to reformulate it, so it's supposed to be even better the next time around. We'll see. It was a it was interesting to see how passionate people were, Laura. A lot of people had thoughts about it, which is what we thought. And this is something that that triggers discussion. Uh, it's good to see people talking about it. It's today in Ohio. So it turns out Mayor Justin Bibb did offer financial help to keep a Dave's grocery store open in Collinwood. Layla, when we talked about this the other day, we were wondering why they weren't. And it turns out they had. Yeah. We just missed that fact in our report. Yeah, yeah. City Councilman Mike Polensic is is really the only party involved here who's been openly talking about about the events surrounding the closure of the Dave's supermarket in Collinwood that has everyone worried about a potential food desert in that part of town. And and this week, he told reporters and, and Mayor Justin Bibbs, press secretary, confirmed it for Courtney Astolfi, that the mayor actually did offer open-ended support to the Saltzman family who owns Dave's. He basically said, is there anything the city can do to help? And the Saltzman said, no, they declined the offer. So it, it kind of cuts off at the knees that, that discussion we were having earlier this week on the podcast about how the city could have and should have done more to help keep this particular grocery store in business. I mean, in fact, according to Polensic, there was more at play here. The terms of the lease were unreasonable to the Saltzmans. The, the landlord had increased their rent by $2 per square foot. They were paying $252,000 annually, and, and they were responsible for, for the maintenance of the building. And given that Dave's operates a newer facility just a few miles away in Euclid, closing down the Collinwood location made made business sense to the Saltzmans, Plensick said. And, and, you know, but that's really cold comfort to that neighborhood, which has many, many low income and fixed income residents who really depended on that store, particularly elderly who who lived in, in this adjacent apartment complex. So Plensick is still very unhappy. And he says that the city has to get creative about finding ways to attract and keep grocers in the city's neighborhood. And he made the very poignant, uh, you know, part point that if, if they can do it for sports teams, they should be able to do it for the basic amenities that people depend on. Well, I have an idea on how to do it. County slush funds. How about that? We should we Ward should know based too, stuff. We should note too that based on observation, this has been coming a while because Dave's has invested in the other store, and it's and it's pretty spectacular while not spending as much to invest in this. It's, it seems like they had made the decision to close this one down some time ago. Yeah, I mean, Courtney, Courtney lives in Collinwood, and she even said herself that she lives closer to the, to the, uh, to the Collinwood Daves and, and had chosen for a while to shop at the other one. So, and I think it's, it's also because it's, it's in closer proximity to other stores like Aldi and other places where you can, you know, round out your shopping. So... There were lots of market forces at work here that go beyond, you know, the simple question of, of uh, you know, what could the city have done? And in fact, we've, we learned that Justin Bibb was concerned about whether the city could have chipped in or could have supported the Saltzmans and, and overcome whatever temporary hardship they were facing. But but they it seemed they had made a firm decision uh, that, that could not be overcome. Okay. And we needed to follow that up because of the questions we raised earlier in the week. It's today in Ohio. We're not going to get to the rest of our questions today. We'll do it tomorrow. Aww. Thank you, Lisa. Thank you, Layla. Thank you, Laura. Thanks to everybody who listens to this podcast. We'll be back tomorrow to wrap up a week of news. <laughs> 